I'm here with Todd Boone, our very own Todd Boone from Zebra, who's responsible for Fulfillment Edge, along with other solutions, and with Rich Ryan, who's the CEO of 615, and they develop our new, or helped co-develop our new HD 4000 heads-up display. And the HD 4000 is really our first introduction, or any introduction, of a mainstream class heads-up display into this sector. That's a big undertaking. Can you just first start talking a little bit about the relationship that we have with one another and how we kind of got to this point, co-developing and co-launching this really exciting new product? About three, four years ago, Zebra was, you know, looking and, you know, where's our next wearable play? And when we think of wearable, we tend to think of hands-free modalities, right? So workers are doing different tasks. They need both hands-free and they can be more productive. And of course, a heads-up display, you know, was one of the first things that came to mind. And, you know, when we start thinking about that, though, there's a couple ways that we can approach it, right? We can try and develop it all in-house, um, or we can look for some industry leaders to partner with. And, you know, we had, you know, a few requirements, though, that when we, when we were looking out into the market um, to choose a partner like 615, you know, I, I think critically, we wanted somebody that actually had some experience, right? Not necessarily just a startup with some cool technology, but actually a company that had um, some heritage, that had some experience and has been selling for some time. And 615 brings all that to the table, often through, you know, military types of contracts. But there's a huge alignment between that and what we tend to look at in the industrial and enterprise space. When you think we're not trying to just spec this out like a consumer would, but rather we're really trying to come out with the right product that's gonna answer you know, the questions or answer what they need in their work environment. I think the other thing that we were really looking for though um, was a partner that could bring a high degree of agility to this. Heads up displays, they've been talked about in the market for a number of years now and you can go to YouTube and see all sorts of different um, you know, takes on what a heads up display in an industrial type of environment might look like. Um, but in all reality, there's very few deployments. And so there's still a lot to learn in this industry, right? In terms of how the workers will adapt and how they will adopt it and what they actually need. And so when we, when we were also looking for a partner, we wanted a partnership that, um, with somebody that could be very agile in their approach as well, that as new learnings came in, we were able to adjust the technology and the focus in a way that would best answer the needs of our customer. So Rich, is working with Zebra what you expected? Yes, we knew that it would be um, a big challenge uh, in general in trying to solve some of the challenges that are present in a warehousing or an industrial environment inherently. Um, so what was really important for 615 in, in finding a partner, someone who really has been understanding those challenges for ever. You know, as, as Todd mentioned, you know, we've been building heads up displays uh, for, for the military for years. We've delivered them to very challenging, harsh environments. We understand that business. So, you know, at 615, we're confident that we could come up with a solution that would address the needs of warehousing or, or other enterprise spaces. But to really understand what those are was not in our wheelhouse, right? So being able to leverage that um, experience and the resources of Zebra to understand those challenges and then to turn very quickly and design around those um, was something that we could never do on our own. So if I dial the clock back, maybe to even a little bit before we started working together, in the consumer space, we did have consumer glade glasses. Why did those stall and why will this be successful? I think there's a handful of things. I mean, one, when you think about it from a consumer standpoint, there was a lot of reticence to wear this. It was very obvious from a functional standpoint, 
while they were quality, decent optics, um, things of that nature, things like battery life, heat, uh, and, and the like, from a consumer standpoint, just really didn't take off. And I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet from a consumer adoption. And then when you take a look at the industrial space, there are just practical, fundamental things that Zebra was able to show us that said these are deal breakers, right? So charging a separate battery, having something hot on the side of your head, being able to have industrial Wi-Fi connectivity where you're not losing it. Those are the types of things that working together, we're able to address that was not a focus of some of the competitive products in our space. Most of us have never used these things in earnest. We don't know what we don't know yet. Tell us a little bit about the heads-up display 4000, HD 4000. When we set out and we partnered with Zebra to design an enterprise solution, one of the things we thought about were, you know, what are all the barriers to scale? You know, why is this not taken off? You know, clearly there's some very tangible evidence in terms of productivity, safety gains, and the like. So one of the things that we did in working with Zebra is think about, A, what is the installed base out there and how do we kind of remove some of those barriers to scale? So we collectively decided that an accessory approach really would help us increase adoption and reduce those barriers to scale. So what we're able to do, particularly with Zebra's portfolio of products that are already in the field or available to, to your customers today, was to be able to create an augmented reality experience using the devices that Zebra currently already has fielded. It has a bunch of technical advantages too. If you don't need it on your head, you shouldn't put it on your head. You know, we didn't want to have another battery that you had to charge. We didn't want to have a Wi-Fi signal at your temple. We wanted to reduce heat. And again, much easier to adopt and trial augmented reality when all you're doing is taking an accessory and plugging it in. So really, all the, so much of the cost and the complexity and the energy storage and the processing power all of it is where you have it today already. This is really just transmitting the video and maybe some microphone or Sure, uh, so we have some sensors. We've got a, a tracker that enables some use cases that we've actually been piloting where it knows where that person is standing and it can change the image as they move their head. There is a microphone for voice input or for you know recording for quality information or anything of that sort. Um, and in one variant, there is a camera. So for other use cases where you might wanna do see what I see or something like that. Um, you know, we can enable that particular use case as well. But largely what we're trying to do is leverage what's on this device already. So use the quality Wi-Fi connectivity that's already developed in a host device from Zebra, be able to leverage the battery and the charging stations uh, and things of that nature. So really eliminate all of these extra risks that are out there for a company to go from a pilot stage to a true rollout. And obviously it's pulling a little bit of power from the device. Does it really have a meaningful impact on battery life for the average user? It really doesn't. And, and particularly given most of Zebra devices and the quality of the batteries that are in these devices, it's practically negligible. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So you were talking about before that somebody was really, the market was looking for somebody to really adopt a full-fledged solution. You could have targeted, especially with your military expertise, a variety of different verticals out there. Why start here in a warehouse? I think there's a handful of reasons, right? To us, warehousing was such a natural use case. There had been some small studies done, so it was really twofold. One, um, you know, as we're all aware, um, you know, e-commerce and, and retail and warehousing and logistics is just rapidly changing. The demand for skilled workers, the seasonality, the increased time of delivery, um, there's so many kind of macro pressures being put on the space that they're really looking for new innovative ways to be able to address those issues. So to us, augmented reality was such a natural 
fit for many of those solutions. You know, to be able to reduce how much time it takes to pick, to be able to train these workers much more rapidly than they, they would under conventional means. And things are moving faster to increase safety to the worker, to, to do all of these types of things. So there were so many things that augmented reality can address that just naturally fit the warehousing space as, as kind of an initial use case. Todd, you're responsible for Fulfillment Edge, which is, a, we believe, a big game changer in the space. This product and Fulfillment Edge work together quite right. tell, tell us a little bit about how that comes together. They really come together very well. When you consider what's going on in a warehouse now, e-commerce, when we think through the impact of that, it's more even than just increased orders. It's really about as different types of orders. Historically, a warehouse would be building large quantities that they would send out to, you know, a store or a DC, you know, and transfer over. So I've got a pallet of goods that I'm sending somewhere. Now I'm picking out an item like a toothbrush for Joe that, you know, not only did he buy it online, but now his expectation has changed. He now says, well, I want that toothbrush, you know, maybe even today, but worst case tomorrow. The velocity of the environment has fundamentally shifted. So when we started looking at this, you know, we started looking at different ways that we could build a solution that would allow warehouses to cope with that transition. Many of them are still using legacy technologies, both the, the mobile devices themselves, but more frankly, the applications that they're based on. And one step is definitely freeing up the hands, right? So now I'm picking more item level things. I'm now getting my instructions through a perpetual source of information right in front of my eye, and I can do that more easily. But I think the other part of the equation that we wanted to look at with Fulfillment Edge is how do we actually make that workflow better? And so as Rich said, you know, when we think of how could we reduce training time, can we fundamentally transform the user experience in such a way that now this solution is so easy to use that workers can effectively come, put on the heads-up display, connected to their Zebra device, and almost start working immediately, whether they're new or experienced. So Todd, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Can you tell me what the average person would see if they were using Fulfillment Edge with the HD 4000? I have an interface in front of me, which is actually designed for high density picking. And so what we mean by that is, you know, a lot of times in a warehouse, it might be a scenario like this, where there's a whole bunch of items in close proximity and I'm picking them, right? Or it might just be bins and those types of things. And what I'm given is a very visually rich interface with almost no text. It's almost all graphically driven. And so now I don't have to worry about things like translation. I don't have to worry about reading labels. But what I am told how to do in a very visual and graphical way is where I'm going to go next and then what I have to do once I get there. And a lot of it is fundamentally transforming. So warehouses today, many of them use terminal emulation, which is, you know, it means a lot to people in the industry. If you're not in the industry, think of a DOS prompt. Right, And when you think of a DOS prompt on an old Windows PC and trying to interface with that, that's what a lot of the warehouse devices actually have. So now you've got a new worker coming in and that's what they're faced with. And you know, now that workers are often perhaps younger as they're starting that warehouse job, they're looking at this going like, what is this? So now we've recreated this interface to not just be really visual, but also in tune with what they would expect from you know, a, a graphical user experience on their phone or on their personal device. So now they can pick up this, much in the same way you might download an application from the Play Store. Intuitively, you'll start using it. You might not learn all of it immediately, but intuitively you can start using it immediately. 
That's what we're trying to recreate. Well, it's kind of interesting that we're having this discussion now because we're in the fourth quarter where retail and warehouses are all ramping up for the holidays and it's going to be the very busiest season for all of them. Warehouses take on additional help in Q4 to get through this peak season. You guys did some really interesting research on training. Tell us a little bit about that training. We've been, you know, developing this in conjunction with a number of different customers. And, you know, there's really two thrusts to how we're looking at it, how they do their day-to-day activities. But to your point, as they've got new headcount coming on, especially in peak periods, how quickly does somebody new come up to speed on the workflow that they need to do? So what I really mean if I distill that down is how quickly can I pick the materials for this given environment that I'm working in and actually get from task to task to task. Todd, just building on those points within the warehouse, you told me a stat the other day that I thought was fascinating, and it was around training these new workers. Can you expand on that a little bit? Many of our customers actually see training times of four to six weeks to get somebody to full productivity for a given task that they're supposed to be doing. And not only is it an industry norm, it's actually what our customers are telling me is their norm. So we've done a number of different customer pilots. And what we're seeing is that um, not only is that dramatically coming down, we're claiming over 90%. In reality, this is coming down to uh, a matter of hours that we are getting someone to full productivity from four to six weeks. And I think the story that you were talking about is this customer went from approximately four weeks to we actually counted it. It was five minutes and or 40 item picks that they had people at full productivity which was a little bit mind blowing. And this particular customer ran 31 of their employees through this trial. So it wasn't just one or two people, it was actually a fairly broad set to get to that metric. Now that's not necessarily what we're claiming across all workflows or anything, but it is indicative of the benefit that you can get. And when you start to think about these industries and, and you know, especially in peak season retailers bringing on potentially thousands of workers, the faster you get them up to speed, the better. And I think just to build on that one more step, you know, I talked earlier about productivity gains as well, right? So one is the onboarding, but now we're also driving productivity gains of approximately 24% across workflows. So we're getting them there faster, but the bar is also higher. So it's actually a double whammy. So you've gone from four weeks down to four minutes. Are you working on four seconds? Is that anywhere? (laughs) Well, there is an industry term about instantaneous onboarding, right? And it's kind of the holy grail. We won't quite get there, but I mean, you know, in reality, that's what we're working towards. Absolutely. Rich, you guys have had a lot of these products in the hands of users and early adopters learning a tremendous amount. You have been working on this particular unit for roughly how long? 615's been working on this uh, alongside Zebra for three and a half years in some way, shape, or form. That's a long development cycle for a lot of high-tech products. Clearly, with all the beta users and early adopters, you guys learned a tremendous amount. What were the things, the key things that you learned, and maybe the ones that surprised you the most? Early on, um, you just don't know what you don't know. Between 615 and Zebra, we knew there were going to be a lot of early learnings. And Zebra being able to literally build a warehouse here so we could test all the different variables that we would like to test when you're building a HUD. And, you know, they come down to some very unique choices. You know, what type of display you're using? Is it going to be a see-through device? Will it be occluded? How does that impact human factors? Um, How big do you want the eye box to be? How big can the optic be? How much does this thing have to weigh to be able to run all day? How much battery power you're going to drain? 
So what we were able to learn through just testing over and over, and because 615, one of the skills we do bring to the table is we were able to iterate very rapidly. So we can change the optic, we can change the field of view, we can create a different housing that, that changes the weight, the balance, the mounts. Um, and I, I couldn't even count how many iterations we've gone through in the first 12 months and in the last 24 months. We could never get those learnings until we had these physical locations had third-party testing and evaluation, have Zebra's human factors team test them and put them on, give that feedback to 615, and then let us kind of take our expertise and make those adjustments and iterations on the product. And tying that back to Fulfillment Edge, does the user or the manager have the flexibility to show what information is and, and when so that as they learn more, you can reduce the number of things in front of them? Or how would the person modify that who's the actual end user? There are ways, in fact, that we've been utilizing Fulfillment Edge as a training mechanism as well. In fact, what you could do is, is parse away the amount of data that you're showing. And so a more experienced worker actually might need less instruction than somebody that now has been there longer. As they get more up to speed, you're actually streamlining the information flow to them. And I think that's a really key part because one of the big learnings you know, over the last few years of working with 615 the way in which you present the information to the user can have just as big an impact on the human factors element as even a lot of the actual mechanical elements. Rich was talking about the focal length and those types of things. I think that combined with the right type of user interface is absolutely in, of key importance because when we did some early stages and it wasn't quite as refined, there was some negative feedback. And yet we went back with the exact same set of 615 glasses and a more refined display that didn't cause the, the eye to you know, shift around or refocus, suddenly much better results. I think the partnership of working together to kind of solve all of these issues that are frankly also unique to enterprise. When we think of consumer, it's who has the biggest field of view and who has maybe the brightest display and, and those types of things. Whereas I'm in a warehouse, there are forklifts moving around, maybe I don't want the biggest or the widest field of view. Similarly, I'm wearing this now for eight hours. I'm not just wearing it as a consumer for an hour here, an hour there, and glancing at it periodically. If this is my work tool, maybe I don't want it to be the brightest. I want it to have the best display relative to the task that I'm doing. And I think that's the crux of the learnings that we've had over the last three and a half years about how to optimize those types of elements. You know, I was in a meeting with the two of you, if you can recall, oh, six or eight months ago, when you guys were still going through the kind of the final tuning of the product. And it happened to be with a number of your engineers and your technical staff, Rich. And they were talking about some of the trade-offs between the specifications and what was really important to the end user and, uh, you know, the constant trade-off that we all make in high-tech about what's really important versus just chasing a number. I think for a lot of us in high-tech is because these are somewhat foreign to us, we're not even sure what specifications we should be looking at in terms of defining the product. Talk to us a little bit about the specifications of the device, and if somebody was interested in one of these, what specifications are important and maybe which specifications are overblown? Similar to 615's experience in the defense market, we are often approached with a handful of specifications that say, I need this resolution, this brightness, this field of view, this eye box, and they're all big. It's technology for the sake of technology. And we went through this experience with Zebra early on, and what we did actually is we built a handful of modules without telling them what was what. And we said, we're gonna give you a variety of things and you tell me, do you really need that resolution? Because if you want that resolution, 
it's gonna be four times the cost. And does it really matter and can you tell? So particularly when you're looking at the type of content that you're trying to deliver, you don't need these high levels of resolutions that you would necessarily see in a gaming headset or um, something that's giving you, you know, video type content. So we were able to kind of very quickly say, okay, do you really need that field of view? The eye basically sees it as a 17 degree field of view. So if you're just preventing in information, why would you need 40 degree field of view? Because now you've got to look around that eye box. So there are things of that nature that um, we were able to create a bunch of modules and say, fine, you guys tell us. And at the end of the day, they kind of down-selected to what we knew the answer was going to be. So a lot of this goes back to the human factors engineering of divining the right product based on the real needs of the user and not out there just chasing specs that are irrelevant and inherently driving up cost. And that's inherently it, right? It does drive cost, it drives weight, it drives power. Those are the trade-offs that when our 615 engineers were talking at Zebra, or you know, talking at the meeting that you discussed, yes, we can do all those things. The technology is available and it's out there. You just don't want us to. You just don't know that you don't want us to until we can actually show you what those differences are you know, in a tangible, meaningful way and share that with the other engineers in your organization to say, yeah, this makes sense. This display is great, this brightness is fine, and the resolution's perfect. What are the things about this product that you think separate it from some of the other competitive products in the marketplace? I think there's a number of things. We've talked a lot about ruggedization, durability, some of the human factors components. And we also mentioned a few things about barriers to scale. I think being able to physically take a durable, rugged IP67 waterproof device and just physically plug it into a current host device and eliminate all the custom software that you might have to provide in some of the competitive devices where they have their own Android operating system working on their head or on their device. That architecture in itself removes so much risk, it removes so much cost, um, it removes so much backward integration into the warehouse management systems. Because again, you're coming into a device, you're plugging it in and you're writing an application on your current host device. I'm already talking to that data on the back end. So those things really differentiate the product. Looking at the quality and the durability that Zebra expects out of its products was a huge challenge. But being able to meet those things clearly sets this apart from some of the other products that are in the marketplace. We are maniacally focused on the warehouse right now. Zebra has been for 40 or 50 years. That's not gonna change. We also serve a lot of other verticals, but right now the focal point is this environment. Where do you think this technology sees its next big boom or its next opportunity outside of the warehouse? I think from our perspective, there's a handful of use cases. There is task workflow management within a manufacturing setting, and there's also expert guidance or see what I see. So being able to transmit your camera feed, exactly what you're looking at, to an expert to be able to get that type of information, the ROI on those use cases is basically half a plane trip. So I really see that's where it's coming, whether these are utility workers up on a line, whether it's someone that's trying to you know, fix a complex piece of equipment on the field, aircraft maintenance, that's where we're seeing a lot of next step demand for augmented reality in the field. I was at a heads up display conference a couple of years ago and there was a fascinating discussion going on, which had never occurred to me, and it was a person who was running a commercial HVAC organization. They said, I have these older employees who have so much expertise, but it's hard to go have them climb the ladder to the top of a building when it's 38 degrees out and it's raining and they have a bad knee. On the other hand, I have a lot of young individuals who just don't know what they're doing. By marrying those two pieces of technology, now you can have the expertise in a singular office with the people who are learning the apprenticeship doing the heavy lifting, but 
they're sitting side by side with somebody who really has the expertise that's needed to get the job done. Absolutely, and it's not just for that job. When you think about the training benefit that comes along with that, if I only get access to that expert once a month when he happens to come on my site, that's how much training I get. If I have access to that expert every day, every time I'm able to dial into a call, time most. when they really need it, and that's where they're learning when they're asking yeah. these questions, that training rapidly accelerates as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time. Rich, to see you. Thank you.